Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I should say have a blessed Christmas, right? Because blessed can be so whether you're merry or not, right? So, you all too tired today? Want me to pray and let you all go home? No, I won't, no. Somebody over here said, would you please? Oh, oh, don't rile me up. All right, so I thought of several things because we were um, talking about Christmas traditions and things like that. So I do have a couple of tr- Christmas traditions. One is um, every, you know, every Christmas, my wife and I like to watch two films. We'll see who has listened to me over the last six years. Two films that are a must-see every year. No, not The Princess Bride. Everybody knows that's an Easter movie, not a Christmas movie. What? And what other one? Christmas Carol, because I need to see George C. Scott repent. Because you know why? Because I see myself. Kills me every time. The other one is more jovial. The Chris, no, please. <laughs> we just went from the sublime to the, anyway. Uh, no, the Christmas story. The Christmas story. And, um, and today, Haley, I want to thank you. She was out shopping and found me these magnificent Ralphie Aww. socks that I am going to wear on our Christmas Day, which is Thursday this week with my family, because my family will all get this. And I also want to say, can I go shopping with you since you have all the money? So those are really cool. My worship team was suggesting I should preach in these and, you know, use the platform so I can go, so that kind of a thing. Anyway, I will put those to work, I promise. I hope your Christmas is, in fact, blessed, and the good news about Chris is an encouragement, you know, that uh, he's doing okay. It's going to be a long trip for him back to health, and uh, his family, of course, was quite distressed this last week, and some of us are in places where we're full of joy and abundance, and others are not so much, but maybe the Prince of Peace can be our portion today, right? We've been talking about Advent. We uh, tried to join our more liturgical brethren, if you will, on the subject of Advent. And uh, we, ch- we chose this theme of his name shall be called from the Isaiah chapter 9 passage. His name shall be called, and we've done this through this whole series, remember? His name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, that our, our counseling preacher preached. What's next? Mighty God, our mighty British preacher preached that. The mighty God needed to save us from sin. That takes a mighty big job. What's next? Everlasting Father. Pastor Tim did a great job last week. And this week, the Prince of Peace. Now, I've been thinking about our, our um, you know, Advent approach and I feel like uh, we maybe don't do enough. I got so into this, I really enjoyed it. And I thought about my childhood and uh, where I grew up in New York City. And I think that, you ever heard the expression, timing is everything? 
Does anybody know what tonight is? Oh, some of you know and some of you cheated because you saw me come in earlier. It's the first night of Hanukkah. And uh, when I was a kid, all my friends in the neighborhood I lived down in the city were Jewish. They had Hanukkah bushes. I had Christmas trees. They had Hanukkah bushes. Nobody gets that. A Hanukkah bush, right? We used to have a wonderful time together. And um, I I grew up with Hanukkah around me, dreidels and uh, oh Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah, where is your menorah? And singing and dancing the horror. And uh, don't ask me to demonstrate because... It would be really ugly. But I thought I would uh, continue for this week a little bit of celebration, thinking about that. And it actually ties into the subject this morning of Jesus being the Prince of Peace. And since tonight is the first night of Hanukkah, this is the Hanukkah menorah. If you don't know the story, I'm going to give it to you a little more expanded. But let me give you the short form first. There are these eight candles, one in the center. The center candle is always called the servant candle, the one from which you light all the others. So I'm not going to use this modern contraption. I'm going to use this. And what happened was, uh, in the old days of of, uh, Hebrew history, before the time of Jesus, and uh, there was something on the screen earlier about 400 years of silence, that in that period, there was still war. And Israel was still caught in the middle of powers that were wrestling. And an event happened at one point where the temple was um, uh, invaded by the enemy and sacrilege took place from a Jewish perspective when a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, they were all struggling for power after... uh, um, Thank you. Alexander had passed away, and the, and the powers were fighting. Ultimately, Rome came out on top, but in between were these Seleucid warriors, and Israel is in a location where it's constantly in the middle of warfare. And so uh, Antiochus was determined to turn all countries into Hellenistic, Greek-like places, And uh, in order to break the back, if you will, of the religion of Israel, he sacrifices a pig on the altar in the temple. Well, that's defiled, and therefore it can't be used. But back in the 167 B.C., this occurred, and in 164, a group called the Maccabees pushed back against these powers and won the day. And Judas Maccabeus was the guy who won it, and he was the hero, if you will, of that time. And uh, he went in and rededicated, the word Hanukkah means rededication. He rededicated the temple for the use of Yahweh and for the people of Israel to worship. There was only one problem. If you know anything about that Old Testament stuff, if you went through the daily Bible with us together... You had to have special consecrated oil to light the lamps, and the priests had to make that. It took time to do it. There was only enough oil for one day. But miraculously, they took the risk, lit the candle, and the lantern stayed lit for guess how many days? Eight days until more could be made. So that's the miracle of Hanukkah, and that's the story behind it, and that's why there are eight 
day candles. You light one every day, and so actually by next Sunday, I can still have it up here. Won't that be nice? Yes, we're all very thrilled about that, I can tell. (laughs) So let's look at our verse. We're talking about the Prince of Peace today. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. The reason I brought up the Hanukkah uh, menorah and the concept of all of this is that there was always war, always has been. And this side, of, I'm not going to say there always will be, because there won't always will be. Has anybody ever seen, uh, I'm going to put a picture up here, this particular monument? Anybody know where it is? Having grown up in New York City, uh, our school districts um, would go on, um, somebody knows, that's across the street from the United Nations. If you look a little bit carefully, you can see some of the flags in the background, the street in between. It's the quote from Isaiah, also restated in the book of Micah, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Very wonderful passage of scripture something that is sure to be true. And yet, what happens in history is that was a hopeful thing with the invention, if you will, the bringing together of the United Nations that it would actually work. But in the arm of the flesh, we don't make out very well. And neither have we historically, have we? Tim mentioned last week in his message that the Jewish celebration of unto us a child is given. Why was this so wonderful and so important and so spectacular in their minds? Why was there so much anticipation? Because all of that was written in the context of war. The Maccabean Wars, the time that Jesus shows up, they're under the oppressive heel of Rome. It's constantly been in a situation. There's been chaos in the world since the fall. And because we're broken and meaning in the worst sense, we're sinful, we are inclined towards selfishness. Have you ever seen what happens even in the nursery? I've got the toy, guess who else wants it? At the same time and in the same way. So the Jews were living with a hope, an expectation that someone would finally come and bring peace and deliver us. By the way, can I just say, is it any wonder that even the disciples who followed Jesus got it wrong? Oh, are you going to restore the kingdom now, Jesus? Are are we going to finally take these Romans and throw them in the middle of the Mediterranean and watch them all drown? Oh, please, oh, please. No wonder they got it wrong. It was part of the culture. It was what was expected. There is one way to bring peace, and that's to win the fight. Prince of Peace, Hebrew, Sar Shalom. You know that greeting, right? We're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. Shalom. Pass a lot of um, Orthodox Jews in our area. I love going past them in stores, especially if they're friendly and they greet me. And I love to say, Shalom Aleichem. Peace to you. And occasionally, if they're not totally shocked, the response is, Malachim Shalom. 
back at you. Peace to you. The Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. The word Sar is the word for a prince, a chieftain, a ruler, a leader, a captain, an official in government, if you will. Here's a good word, an administrator. His name shall be called the administrator of peace. Wow. Wouldn't it be great if we had an office somewhere where Jesus had his desk? I could go in and speak to the administrator of peace and bring it to bear in every area of my life that I need his shalom. It would be amazing. And we need the king, the prince, the administrator of peace to exert his influence in every realm I could think of. And so this morning, I'm just going to be straightforward, straight up. I might touch on a few things that trigger your personal experience. It might be a little hard, but I, if anything comes out at all, I want you to have the big picture, which is he is the prince of peace. And while he is alive, and he is, there's always hope. And there's always the potential of his peace breaking through. For those of you who are uh, note takers, you'll see that I have three points because this is a Baptist church. You have to have three points and a poem. I never do poems, by the way, never, but well, almost never. But I do have a few readings today. Needed first, if you want the fill-ins, needed the, the administrator of peace is needed on a global scale. He's needed on the global scene, if you will, if we can put it that way. And the first verse I would like to show you is a revival context verse. It's really a wonderful passage. And uh, preachers in the history of America, when the Great Awakening broke out, passages like this were looked at as promises, if you will, of the effect of the gospel. So I'm going to have Isaiah up on the screen. The text that was in front of the United Nations starts here. It shall come about in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth... The word of the Lord, the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then it goes on. And he shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Anybody been around long enough to remember the missionary song, The Darkness Shall Turn Into Dawning? And the, Remember that? And the dawning to... I won't quit my day job. <laughs> Noonday bright, and Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, a kingdom of love and light. Did you know there's different views about how the end's going to happen? Anybody ever know that as Christians? I know there's some people in the room who know absolutely how it's all going to happen. You think. But that came out of theology that believed this truth. But the problem is it's only part of the truth. There will be great distress in the world toward the end. It almost feels like we're getting close. But people have said that before, so I'm always very cautious 
Nevertheless, it sure feels more chaotic than ever, but there will be chaos. There will be a grand ingathering. We know the Jewish people in mass will start to be ingathered toward the end. We know that there will be revival, that some of this will actually happen. The description of going up to Zion is not about the physical city of Jerusalem. It's about the church being exalted, the power of the gospel flowing through his people and people's lives being transformed. But it will not bring complete peace to the planet. That will ultimately happen when Jesus returns. We need his administration of peace on a global scale. There's lots of stories where this kind of prophecy became true in our history. That's why it's worthwhile reading as a... If you're a believer, it would be healthy for you to occasionally read missionary stories. Not all the time, but some. Anybody ever heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Jim Elliot? You know that story. One of the titles of her books was The Savage, My Kinsman. The people who murdered her husband came to Christ and they became brothers and sisters in every full sense of that word. Stories of warring tribes being brought to peace, murder stopping, whatever it might happen to be. There were times that the power of the gospel, the administrator of peace, brings his peace to bear on a global scale. The year was 391 A.D. Rome was being invaded greatly by the gospel. In fact, a child emperor was now a Christian, an emperor named Honorius. But guess what was still going on? Gladiatorial games. The culture accepted that as normal. Boy, isn't it interesting how culture sneaks up on us? We, oh, this is normal. I'll bet you there's parents in this room, we're old enough, right, to remember when I, I was appalled when that came out. And now it's like, so... You know, there's a kind of a drift that happens. But the culture was used to watching men slaughter each other for entertainment. But there was a Christian, someone under the authority of the administrator of peace, a monk who came into the Colosseum one day in that year and saw this going on went down onto the grounds where the fighting was taking place. Now, by the way, you should know, if you were well-to-do and you had a favorite gladiator and he was about to lose it because he lost the fight and everybody in the stands was doing this, you could buy the privilege of going down and watching it up close. So to have this man come down wasn't necessarily a wrong or weird thing until he got between the two gladiators and from one report I heard was saying, for God's sake, stop! The stories differ. One of the gladiators struck him with a sword or the people were so mad that their TV show was being ruined that they stoned him to death. But the result was 
By 404 AD, the emperor had ended gladiator games forever. The influence of the administrator of peace finally was brought to bear. I remember when I grew up in New York City, um, PS 79 in Whitestone, best school ever. On the roof, we had this huge siren. Anybody remember those? And every so often, there would be a drill. Now, the reason we did these drills was because at that time, the sword of Damocles was hanging over the world. It still is, but nobody takes it seriously. Nobody wants to push the red button. Nuclear, right? We'd done some tests. We could see what happened. We saw what happened in Japan. The the destruction was unbelievable. And so we naively said, we have to do these trainings. So when the siren starts, everybody get down under the desk in your room, as if that was going to stop. (laughs) Oh, if only there was an administrator of peace. (laughs) Because that's not going to save us. No more lockdown drills, no more sirens, no more hiding under your desk. One day, this is going to be true. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. God's going to win. Jesus is going to restore what is broken. We've been in chaos since the fall. Destruction, all of it the ravages of sin in our world, all the lack of peace that there is on every level is because of our rebellion, not God. I hate hearing how many times God gets blamed for everything that's wrong. We never thank him when everything goes right, but we sure know how to blame him when it goes wrong. He's going to set it all back in order. He will defeat his enemies, and the last one will be death. No more sirens. Trumpets, harps, singing, all kinds of stuff like that, but no more war. The administrator of peace is necessary. His influence is necessary even in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at what's in the paper every day and I go, oi, oi, it's war everywhere. Whether it's formally called a war or not, it's everywhere. And I'll admit, it's too big. It's way above my pay grade to try to solve all that, but isn't it exciting when once in a while you see the administrator of peace work it out somewhere? That's kind of fun when that happens, like Telemachus, the monk who laid his life down under the authority of the administrator of peace and ended gladiatorial combat forever. Well, if only that would happen on some other levels with our sins that have become legal in our nation. It's also needed in our own circle. So the, the, the second fill-in is needed in our circle or our community. You can use either word. When I say community, I don't just mean the town you live in. We all live in, I almost use the Greek words for this. We need peace in our cosmos, our world, and we need peace in our oikos. You know what an oikos is? It's where we get the word economy. An oikos, the oikonomos. It's the, it's the community and the exchange that happens in community. So we live in a community. We work in a community, right? Our workplace is a circle 
a community that we dialogue with, we interact, we have relationship with. Our clubs or our hobbies or our, our gym activity or karate or whatever it is, it develops a little bit of a community. I know how to say it. You're all like, hey, doesn't he know how to say it? How is black belt? Doesn't he know? What else is a, um, our works? I, got, I lost, see what you did to me there? You're just laughing at me. My, my apartment complex or condo or whatever it is, my, the block on which I live, my family is a circle. It's part of my, my, my smaller, the world's too big. It's above my pay grade. But this, well, that's in my zone. That's where I interact with people is in this circle, right? And we all have that. I'm going to curb my, my wife isn't here to help me curb my ADD today, so I'm working real hard on it. She's not feeling too well. So, interesting thing about the worlds in which we live. When I was a, a new Christian, I became a believer listening to Billy Graham on television. I've told most of you that, those of who are guests, that's new news, but... I went back to my, the church that I had been raised to go to Sunday school in. Remember, I had gone to a church, and I, I said all the right things and prayed the prayer and became, I, I got baptized in one of those baptistries. I mean, that's serious stuff, you know, and became a member of the church. I was lost. I did not know Jesus Christ. I had not come to personal faith in him. So I went out into the weird Weirdness of the 60s and 70s, fill in the blanks as you are aware of. And if you're too young, then good. <laughs> you don't know that. It was, it was bad. And I met Jesus and my life got turned around. I went back to my home church and all of a sudden everything came alive for me. What they were teaching from the Bible made sense. The Christmas songs were wonderful. They all made sense. I've, I've said that recently again. There was a brother in that church who had been a police officer in New York City for seven or eight years. I can't remember, six to eight, somewhere in there. And God put his hand on him and brought him off to seminary. And we ended up catching up with each other in Denver at seminary. And he kind of became a mentor to me. And he had a lot of awesome stories about the workings of the Holy Spirit and God at work and, and seeing people know Christ and et cetera. And one of the stories came out of that home church in in Queens, because back then, uh, you know, there's movies made about these guys, Goodfellas and stuff like that. There, there was mafia activity, and there was a man in that church circle, in that community, that church, that circle of peeps who was in the business. And he got born again, and he wanted out of the business because he had really been changed by the administrator of peace. And you know, you don't walk away from that very easily. All right, now I'm going to meddle a little. What's the last promise you laid hold of? This guy came across this verse in Proverbs 16. Isn't this awesome? When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And some crisis happened where they came face to face and the collision took place and they finally said, just stay out of our way, get lost. And he was a free man. 
makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Anybody here have any enemies? Oh, not me. I'm a good Christian. Who is the person that when I say their name, your stomach goes, there's your enemy. But he can do some remarkable things. If nothing else, he can give peace to your spirit to release them so that you're a free agent. It doesn't matter what happens to them. I mean, it does matter, but what do you do with it? Forgiveness, reconciliation, all of those things are workings of the Prince of Peace. I've been, uh, I, was, I was doing math. I, I, I'm terrible at math. Uh, I don't mean I can't add one and one. I know it's five. But what I am saying is uh, trying to remember when all this started, 1971, and I became a Christian, and I was processing that in a couple of years I will have passed 50 years of walking with Jesus. And, and uh, thinking about my 35 to 45, 45 years of ministry and observing family circles... That sounds like a cartoon. Family circles for all of these years and watching the, the swinging. You know, I, I believe that we're infected with a thing called, it's a disease called pendulumitis. Ever heard of it? Pendulumitis? You have now because uh, that's one of my favorite words. I made it up. So if, you, if it gets famous and makes money, make sure I get a tithe at least. But um, pendulumitis Oh, this is bad. We, we go way over here. Let's fix things this way. Now, here's the balance place, but we're way over here. Oh, no, this is too much way over here. This is not healthy. Right? Here's the healthy spot. Now we're over here. Am I making sense? Parenting especially is at risk for pendulumitis. So we go from... Total no boundaries, which, by the way, children accept their brain, their processing says, nobody cares if I crash into a brick wall. It's rejection. All the way over here, oh, just do whatever you want, to all the way over here, don't do anything. By the way, that's interpreted as rejection, too. I wonder why. How hard is this? Anyway... I've watched it over the years go back and forth. Helicopter parents, oi, make me crazy. All the way to today, or maybe, I don't know, a little bit, maybe we're into the next decade, I'm not sure, over here. It's like figure it out on your own. Just figure it out. Figure life out. They will. Not right. But they'll figure something out. And the result ends up that we have damaged tragic Home situations. I really want to um, speak into this in this coming year. I'll just give you a preview. This is for in-house people, visitors. Maybe you're off the hook. I don't know. Did everybody remember the depression seminar? My friend Ray Lightcap came and shared. After he had shared and interacted with numbers of us and just... He was a blessing to us, and he was a blessing to me. He kind of straightened my attitude out a little bit, too, you know. I mean, can you imagine your pastor having an attitude? Get out of town. But anyway, yes. And, um, and uh, he, he, just, he was just so 
um, affirming, nurturing, you know, in terms of the gospel and, and the potential that there is and to free us up and help us walk through our weaknesses and our struggles. And one of the things he said to me is, there is some kind of a generational bondage there in our assembly. You've heard me say it before. I feel like I've been ignored on this, that there are multiple generations who have turned their back on Jesus that have come out of this building, this one or this one. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. You can't control it all, but you can do your part to be under the administrator of peace to bring reconciliation. I'm going to indulge for just a moment in my own story because some of you already know that my father was a very bad person. He was violent. He was abusive. He was totally unfaithful to my mother. Um, I remember, as I've shared in some circumstances, my childhood, four-year-old kid watching his mother's head bashed on the floor is not a healthy thing. So that's what I come from. Then feeling completely abandoned because of divorce and separation and not seeing him except when he was loaded. If you know what, you know what I mean, loaded, lit. He'd come lit and you never know what he was going to do and mostly he would just scare us. Oh, what a wonderful vision of the Heavenly Father who loves me, right? Do you think I needed some healing? Did I think I needed some prince of peace, some administration of peace, sorting out my garbage? You bet I did. And it was years later in ministry, I'm helping other people walk in freedom. I'm helping them learn about Jesus and how to have the prince of peace give them peace in their heart. And they're walking in victory. And I'm still hating his guts. Thank God that I had some faithful brethren who were praying with me who had the guts, because let's, let's face it, sometimes preachers can be intimidating. I've never been intimidating to anybody, but they're praying with me, and, and I'm saying, I don't know what's wrong. I, I have such a, a rage inside. And uh, they're praying, and they look up, and this dear sister, they, well, we're friends with them to this day. This is like forever ago. It's your father. Now, I'm a deep-thinking Christian can't be my father. I'm a Christian. I don't have any problem, you know. Okay, let's go back to prayer. We must, these blessed saints, they're like, we must be wrong. Let's pray harder. Another one, different one, looks up, points at me and says, it's your father. And before I could finish my defense, I fell down. I just broke down and sobbed like a baby. And I'm talking a long time. Do you know how many Kleenex you can go through? Because if you don't, there's like a... Anyway, it's really... But you know what? The administrator of peace healed my soul. And years later, when my father, who had very few of his brain cells left because he had drunk himself into a stupor for so long, was living in a tenement in Flushing, New York... I gathered up my grandchildren, his grandchildren, my kids, and brought them down and met with him and reconciled with him, not because he ever asked forgiveness from me, because he didn't. But when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. I'm just wondering, 
Is there some territory in your circle that the Prince of Peace should get some permission to start meddling? I believe it's a desperately needed thing in our generation, tragically desperately needed to see the Prince of Peace have his way. I read this at least twice on my tenure of, of um, six years here, but it, it is so excellently written that not to read it again would be a mistake. I love the title of the book, John Ortberg, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. <laughs> and all of God's people said, <laughs> okay, there's at least, you know, probably 80 Christians in the room. I heard that. <laughs> And for those of you visiting and haven't figured out my sense of humor, my apologies, but ask God, uh, the administrator of peace, to give you peace in spite of me, okay? <laughs> Talking about this word, sar shalom, you may have seen um, um, synagogues named Beth Shar Sar Shalom. That's what it's talking about, the house of the Prince of Peace. Beit is house, like Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethlehem, Bet Sar Shalom, the prince of Shalom. The Hebrew word is Shalom. The Greek word is Irene. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But this concept of Shalom, the peace that God wants to give to people, has to do with connection. It has to do with love. It has to do with um, uh, a webbing together. Here's what he says. I'm going to read for just a portion if you'd follow along as I, as I do. Try to imagine the old prophets, Isaiah, for example. His name shall be called the Prince of Shalom, the Administrator of Peace. The old prophets told people then and still tell us what such a state of affairs would look like if Shalom prevailed. <clears throat> In a world where shalom prevailed, all marriages would be healthy, all children would be safe. Those who have too much would give to those who have too little. Israeli and Palestinian children would play together on the West Bank. Their parents would build homes for one another. In offices and corporate boardrooms, executives would secretly scheme to help their colleagues succeed. They would compliment them behind their backs. Tabloids would be filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows would feature mothers and daughters who love each other deeply, wives who give birth to their husbands' children, and men who secretly enjoy dressing as men. <laughs> Disagreements would be settled with grace and civility. There would still be lawyers, perhaps, but they would have really useful jobs like delivering pizza, which would be non-fat and low in cholesterol. Doors would have no locks. Cars would have no alarms. Schools would no longer need police presence or even hall monitors. Students and teachers and janitors would honor and value one another's work. At recess, every kid would get picked for the team. Churches would never split. People would be neither bored nor hurried. No father would ever again say, I'm too busy, to a disappointed child. Our national sleep deficit would be paid off. Starbucks would still exist, but would only sell decaf. 
<laughs> Divorce courts and battered women shelters would be turned into community recreation centers. Every time one human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement, affection, and delight. No one would be lonely or afraid. People of different races would join hands. They would honor and be enriched by their differences and be united in their common humanity. And in the center of the entire community would be its magnificent architect, the most glorious resident, the God whose presence fills each person with unceasing splendor and ever-increasing delight. The writers of Scripture tell us that this vision is the way things are supposed to be. This is what we would look like if we lived up to the norm God set for human life. If our world were truly normal, one day it will be. The administrator of peace on a global scale in our circle also needed in our... Anybody want to guess what the IH is? Our inner heart. Our inner heart. I've already touched on that to some degree, right? True inner peace. There's two dimensions. I've got two verses to show you. One is the first where it all begins for the true Christian. Not that we can never experience peace without it, but not to the fullest extent. And that is we need peace with God. I know Americans especially think they're amazing. And in some ways we really are. Think about the things that have happened in our history. Terrible things, but amazing inventions. This morning, once again, we all pondered the wonderfulness of technology as it went wrong. <laughs> you know, I think we're going to go without, you know, I think about maybe we'd be better off without electric at all. You know, no, like Thomas Edison, go away. Until I get in that shower with that hot water on demand electric heater, bringing that hot water, and I go, no, that was a wrong idea. I shouldn't go there. You all know what I mean. Amazing advances. But ultimately, we, as wonderful as we are on the one hand, because we're made in the image of God and able to be creative like God, who is the creator, we are able to invent things and, uh, and groom the planet, if you will, and steward it. All of the things, whether we abuse it or whether we use it rightly, the point is we still need peace with God. Billy Graham put out a track. That was his four steps to peace with God, right? It was called Peace with God. That's the name of it. I remember it. Blue cover, white letters, peace with God. Tells you how to have peace with God. Does everybody know what those four steps were? Listen how quiet it just got. You know, God loves us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. Number two, Yes, we're in trouble. We broke the rules. So the problem is, and every religion, whether it believes in the living God who created and Jesus his son or not, believes this much. There's some kind of higher power and there's something broken between us. And that I have to do something to correct it. That's number three. We can't correct it. Number three is God did it for us. He sent this baby into the world. Remember I said Christmas came in a context of war. In fact, one year our, and I think Ben mentioned it in prayer or something this morning, that uh, one year we mentioned as Eldred teaches in his book Born to be Wild or one of those books, I can't remember what the name of it is, 
the date of Christmas, Jesus coming into the world, which was probably not December 25th, by the way, was a declaration of war. Do you understand that? God saying, I'm declaring war on the insanity of Satan's rule in this world. Taking my people, the people that I invented, into chaos in their minds and in their communities and in their global scene. I'm declaring war on that. I'm going to rescue it and I'm going to set it all right. Even though there are going to be casualties, oh yes, there are. I'm still going to rescue If you've been rescued and you belong to Jesus, you recognize you're not one of the casualties and you ought to be saying thank you, Jesus, right now because there's plenty of them. And his desire is to bring as many as he can with us into reconciliation with him. Here's what it says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Oh, there it is. Wait a minute. That's not it. Having been justified by faith, we have what with God? Peace with God. Peace is the opposite of war. It's the opposite of disagreement, division, dissension, unhealth. It's the opposite. We have now health. We now have reconciliation. We now have relationship. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody know any Christmas carols? We didn't sing it this morning. One of my favorite, Wesley, he was an evangelist, right? And his brother who wrote the music, they were evangelists. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the new. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you have to start. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus by faith, that's the fourth step, by the way. He's provided it. doesn't do you any good until you go to the ATM and take it out for yourself. It's in your account. Go to the ATM. Put the little card in. You need the code number? It's this. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive my sin. Become Lord of my life. I want to follow you. Whatever you say, I'm willing to start learning it. You won't get it all right today, by the way. It's going to take a few weeks. That was a little joke. Sorry. Guys don't get out much, do you? Okay. In our inner heart, peace with God, number one, but also the next step, peace from God. I need peace from God. Boy, if there was ever a time in the world that we need peace from God. You don't want to miss the point. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. God wants us to have peace with him and peace from him. It was really hard for me to kind of narrow in where I wanted to park on some of this because I've been brooding over all the chaos in our culture today, all the lies that are being shoved out as clinically right and all of this that are so off the mark and so damaging. And I don't want to park on any one particular thing because... Think about the drug, the opioid epidemic and the massive senses of rejection that children have, even in Christian homes, that they contemplate ending their own life. Broken relationships. Last week, uh, Pastor Tim avoided getting too much into the broken relationship. I told you a story of broken relationship. I grew up in it. I'm telling you the Prince of Peace is real. He's alive and he can change that. He can 
But you know what? We won't let them because nah, I want to run it. My, I got this. I got this. The very first week, this, this one right here, this candle right here, this one was his sermon. Dennis Ashley, wonderful counselor. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you what you want. There's only one problem. You've got to choose to submit to it. You've got to choose to put it into... You've got to go to the ATM. Take it out for yourself. Lay hold of that promise. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, this poor guy that was getting out of the mafia, he makes even his enemies be at peace. And it happened. And I'm not saying it'll always have that kind of a happy ending, but you can at least get this part settled out. Inner peace within. Some of you are sitting here today and you know you don't have it. What are you going to do about it? He's available and he's alive and he's real. People are trying to find peace in every way possible. Mindfulness. Hugging trees. There was an article this last week. I'm not trying to, be, I'm not trying to scoff at somebody. I'm telling you, I, my heart just goes, oh my goodness. Hold on to this tree. It was in the paper. Hold on to this tree. It's a therapy thing. You know. Now, float away on the wind like a leaf. I'm sure that was a transforming experience. And there's peace in every part of their life now. Not. Cannabis will help. A gender operation change will help. No, it won't. I was just reading, and now I am meddling with, with the culture. I am probably going to go to jail before I'm done. Not today, unless there's a spy in the room. Come on, bring it. Bring it. Where are you? I was reading, um, digging on this because it stresses me so much, because I've seen people delivered. Some of you know our brother Gary and his wife, uh, Melissa, who were here, who are living witnesses, trophies of grace, that the fact that our culture and the enemy is lying to us about who we are as created beings made in the image of God. And I was uh, reading through the damage that is being done to people because they're not at peace. So there was this large article. I, I, won't, I won't bore you with all the details, but let me just give it to you as a sample with a therapist who's been working through with people for over 15 years with what is called um, gender dysphoria, where you're struggling with what, what, what is my gender? What am I supposed to do? And um, this guy with 15 years of experience says, Rather than moving automatically with children, especially, this is the tragedy, is with children who aren't ready to make up their mind about anything yet. He prefers to talk big picture first and not take a child's declared gender identity at, at face value. If a patient comes to me, comes in and tells me, I'm having a strong desire to the opposite sex, my next question, why don't we just start with, this is so simple. Listen to this. My next question is, why? Tell me why. What does that mean? What is your understanding of being the opposite sex? Are you nervous about being your own? Do you have anxiety? There's the key. Do you have anxiety? The psychiatrist says that the social anxiety is an underlying factor in most of these cases. There's a lot of other details. I don't want to park on that subject per se. What I'm trying to get at is we are in a high anxiety culture. 
Well, what will help me? How do I deal with the anxiety? If I go do these things, that's not necessarily going to solve the inner anxiety anguish. Is there someone who can help me? Yes, his name is the administrator of Shalom. Start with that. See if that can't be sorted out. How many times I've seen people who are struggling with these things, and and we've seen people walk into freedom. God is alive and his gospel really does work, is what I'm trying to say. That some lie, some damage, some abuse, something has been covered and buried, and that's where the confusion is in fact coming from. Is there an administrator of peace who can heal my inner being? I'm just going on record. There is. The fact that so much of American Christianity isn't getting it isn't my problem, and it's not God's problem either. It's our problem. But he is still alive, and he's still in the business of bringing his peace to bear globally if necessary, and when ultimately once and for all, in our circles, as much as we are able to live at peace with anyone, we should do so, the scripture says. And in our inner heart, is there something that is wrong that I'm not giving over to him that is why I am struggling with this anxiety and why I am not at peace with my very own self and my very own being? It's all around us, friends. It's all around us. But the Prince of Peace is the one that they have to do business with. You'll recognize this verse. It's nothing new about it. Be anxious for nothing. This is out of Philippians. Everybody remember this? Good memory verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? We like that as a memory verse. We like to quote it maybe, but there are some implications in that. In everything, prayer and supplication. Supplication means I'm in need. It comes out of a sense of deprivation. And because I'm deprived of this, I need, and that's why I come to you. I need inner peace. I need to have some, some sane thinking about this area of my life. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses this irene, this opposite of war, this internal war, this inner division, this anxiety, it will be subdued. It surpasses all comprehension. I thought there are three words you probably ought to know about this verse. One, it surpasses. It's more powerful. It excels even the thought process. Ever have peace in spite of the circumstances? In other words, the circumstances feel wrong. But for some reason, I have peace. How do you explain that? It surpasses all comprehension and it shall guard your hearts and your minds. Same word that is used in a prison context where the inmates are held down under control that that anxiety will be squished, will be held down under control, and or the other explanation is guard duty, protecting, standing around, guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So it's more than just saying peace, you know. 
Remember uh, that fantastic spiritual movie, Napoleon Dynamite? Kip, don't be mad at me, Napoleon, just because I've been chatting with babes all day online. I'm sure that there's a beautiful babe for you out there somewhere. Peace out. Peace out. You know what? I know, I know, I, I shouldn't bring up such sublime cinematography, but you know what? It doesn't matter whether there's a beautiful babe out there for you, Napoleon. It doesn't matter. The peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, can guard your heart and mind right now and transform it, working in your life. A restful disposition at peace with myself, settled and peace with God. The Prince of Peace, the Administrator of Shalom. Can I just ask a question? You say you belong to him. Has it made any real difference? Are there evidences of this peace at work? Or is there some step you need to take to give him permission to move in on some turf? And if you haven't put your trust in the Prince of Peace, it's not an automatic that you have peace with God. We're all going to leave this world, and the last enemy to be defeated was death, and he wants you to know that you have peace with him so that you're ready to face anything, life or death, whatever comes in life and however death comes. Like some of the stories we already told today. I've kept you later. I didn't realize how late it was. You ready to go? Yes, you are. Let's stand together and close in prayer. If you want to pray about something or you want to unpack something, the altar's open, the elders are here, the pastors are here, we'd love to see you. You're welcome back on Tuesday night for 7 o'clock candlelight service. It's always guaranteed to be less than one hour. Isn't that great? You can't go wrong. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to those who you want to come into your kingdom that need to have peace with you. Speak to those of us who need peace in our circle or peace in our inner being where we are confounded and at war with ourselves. Lord, you're able. You're able. We need you. We need, we need to supplicate, to plead with you for you to bless us in this because we can't do it ourselves. Prince of Peace, be over your people in this week. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great Christmas day.